This is the Imitate Ted Radio Hour. I'm your host, Julian Fade. And I'm also here. I'm Corey Mathewson. They say, to live a creative life, you must lose your fear of being wrong. We have lost that fear. We speak to world-renowned experts you've never heard of. Because, well, they're improvisers. They don't know what they're talking about, but that doesn't stop them from pretending they do. Each episode, we bring you made-up facts, unsighted research, completely improvised. Welcome to the Imitated Radio Hour. We keep them as pets in aquariums. We catch them with worms on a string. We saute them in garlic-infused butter. But surprisingly, the life of a fish exists for far more than for human enjoyment. Our guest today is an ichthyologist who's devoted his life to the study of fish. This hour, he unspools the line about an astounding discovery that he made about fish and their behavior. Tom Rittenhouse, thank you for joining us today. How's the water? Oh, it's worth swimming in, that's for sure. <laughs> so great to have you here, Tom. Oh, what an honor. Tom, where, where are you coming to us from today? I am in a sea lab. Um, yeah, sea uh, lab. It's about it's just a just a couple couple feet uh, below the surface of the water in a pond in my family estate. Now, Tom, what drove you to become an ichthyologist and, and not just a simple marine biologist? Yeah, yeah. So marine biology can get so muddy, um, especially when you're trying to latch on to, uh, is a turtle a fish, you know? And I just decided they're not. And so I, so I just focused on fish. Where do you draw the line between what is um, a fish and what's not a fish? Well, and that's, what, that's really where it gets interesting because nobody knows the answer to that. Um, a lot of people think, oh, if it's in water, does it make it a fish? Um, and and then, then I would point at a piece of trash and say, that's not a fish. Then I would also say, have you ever seen a fish mm-hmm. on a hook out of the water? And someone would say, oh, absolutely. I've been fishing before. Or I've seen, a, I've seen all of those wonderful fishing films. And then I would say, well, then it's not in the water, is it? And it's still a fish. And so it's, it's so hard to define. Mm. Yeah. So... Not everything in the water is a fish and not everything out of water isn't a fish. That's, that's exactly how I would say it. Yeah. In fact, that was my thesis. Mm. Um, was there more to it than that or was it just that? Uh, yeah, it was that and then a colon and how I learned to love the modern fish. You, you reference modern fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it about the more modern fish versus the historical fish that you, that you so enjoy? Oh, just the glam, just um, the tech. They're more open-minded. You're seeing more trends. You know, you're seeing more you're, you're, fidget spinners. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're, we're talking, I'm talking Pokemon goats. Mm-hmm. And, and do you see trends kind of bubble up and then fade out in, in fish? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in the schools of fish, you know, and people are like, oh, a school of fish is a group of fish. And then I, I hurt that person because, mm-hmm. um, because I'm like, no, it's more a school of fish is literally a school of fish. That's where they learn. Ah. Okay. And then inside those schools, there's clicks. There's the cool kids. There's the hot 
ones. There's the athletes, there's the jocks, there's the dweebs. And they say dweebs actually. Dweebs is a cool is actually a cool word they say um now. Okay. So there's all of these there's all of these influences, okay? And so yeah, of course, of course trends happen. In your years of studying and, and researching fish history and behavior and, and growth patterns, this is your most recent discovery that, that schools of fish are not simply groups of fish. They actually change fish behavior. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you an example. Um, I was looking at a school of clownfish the other day um, and I was it was over on the Barithian uh, reef and there uh, there was a, this little sp- a spazoid. OK, the subset spazoid group. Um, I'm talking your hyperactives, your, uh, candy cravers, um, your, your indoor kids. Okay. And one of these spazoids was shoved into a coral reef, Mm. which is the equivalent of a locker. Because it's where fish keep their belongings. Books. Yeah. Yeah. Fish books or seaweed. It's the same thing. And instead of being left in there, one of the popular clownfish uh, girls, you could tell because she had eyelashes, um, she pulled, pulled him out. And it's like, wait, hold on, wait a second. She shouldn't be anywhere near this spazoid mm-hmm. fish, you know? And yet she, she crossed over. Uh, and now that spazoid fish is part of two subsets. And that's where it gets really fascinating, the hybridizing of these clicks. I'm having a tough time kind of picturing what this looks like when you get up close. Well, let me, let me, let me, let me, uh, let me give you an example. Are you familiar with a swirly? This is where you would, in our human, in our dumb human lives, it's where a a bully would put uh, someone's head in a toilet and flush the water. Right. Yes. I am familiar. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. The fish, they have swirlies too, but it's the opposite. It's where they put their heads up. Oh. In above into air. Oh my God. Yeah. It's a form of punishment. That's right. It's air. It's like, or airboarding. And, and dom and dominance. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I, this makes me think of is some of your early research in which you traced the evolution of fish all the way back to the evolution of humans. That's right. Yeah. F- yeah. Humans and fish started at the same time. And, and are there behaviors that, that link all the way back that, that can show that a lot of this pe- research that, that mm-hmm. you've done is, is, is similar to that in, in humans? Yeah, there's, you, you are seeing a lot of this in the fish community, in the ichthyology circles, where it's, it's becoming more um, in vogue to realize that maybe fish learned everything they know from humans. Oh, yeah. And vice versa? Um, the only thing f- humans learn from fish is, um, is like when you're on, when you're, when you get out of the water mm-hmm. and, you, and you like wiggle, you, you wiggle around a little bit yes. and to get, that's what we learn from them. Okay. And also continuing to go after the same bait. Ah, we learn that from them too, over and over and over again. We do that too. And we learned that from fish. We learned that from fish. We didn't learn how to swim from fish. We no, actually no, taught no. They, fish yeah, how to swim. they learned from us. They learned from us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, then, like for instance, w- when you watch the Olympics, if you watch the Olympics, I do. I do. So the butterfly, the the kick is called a dolphin kick, but it's because it was a gift to the dolphins. 
From humans. From humans. Which of the over 33,000 varieties of fish Mm. are you sort of most influenced Mm by? Oh, man. Honestly, I like the Mm. ones that live fast and live hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, is there a sort of a personal connection to a particular fish? Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about the Jai Fury. Ah. Yeah. The Jai Fury. It sounds like Guy Fieri. Mm-hmm. It really does, but it's not related. Well, a lot of people think that Guy Fieri, and this is where, again, art imitates life or fish imitates humans imitates and humans imitate fish, is Guy Fieri's persona is completely based off of the Jai Fury. Wow. Yeah. It feels so human to me. Right. Yeah. Well, only in the sense that like live hard, party hard, cook hard. I mean, the Jai Fury don't cook. But they do eat a lot of garbage. Yeah. And and their dorsal fin look very similar to frosted tips. Ah. Yeah. And their scales do look like flame colored bowling shirts. And their blood is donkey sauce. I want to step back into your thesis. In your preamble, you describe this wonderful picture of your first journey out onto a boat in the open water. Mm. So what was it like Mm -hmm. the first time that you looked down over the gunnel and saw a live fish in its natural ecosystem? Oh, yeah. I'll I'll never forget it. I I was in a boat and I was looking over the gunnel. And I was looking into, and I was looking into the water, and I heard, and I, and I just heard, I heard laughter. Huh. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, oh. I was like, oh, what's that? And no one was with me. I was alone at the time. Mm-hmm. Your first boat trip was a solo boat trip. That's right. Wanted, I was like, I saw it. I saw it on a movie. I saw, I had seen Waterworld and I had seen Kevin Costner drink his own urine. And I was like, oh, that's, hmm. And so I went on a boat by myself, heard laughter in the water, looking over the gunnel. Next thing I know, next thing I know, I'm underwater, drowning because I do not swim, cannot swim. And I'm like, and I'll go, I'm like, oh no. As I'm right, pulling out quickly my, a piece of paper to write to finish my will for my children, by the way, which I have several children. I was all of a sudden getting my will out. I'm like, oh no, I gotta, I gotta finish this. All of a sudden, a, a barracuda. And started making little fin fin signs at me. And it was like, and I recognized it saying, it was like, wait, 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 are you drowning? And I'm like, and I was like, wait, no. I was like, no, I'm finishing my will and testament for my family. And it was like, okay, okay. You know. And then when I finished it, he he carried me, he carried me, he put me back in the in the boat. And and then pushed me. To the, to the shore. Because I didn't have oars or a, or a sail or a motor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you described it as just a, a, the equivalent of a tin garbage can. It wasn't even the equivalent. It literally was a tin garbage can. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, and, and which is amazing. It's like, they put a gunnel on that thing and they do. And I guess that's why. 
you've come a long way since since that first boat trip in uh, a tin garbage can. Mm-hmm. And that laughter must have influenced you so much in your research because now you seem to have an intimate connection with what fish are saying and feeling in, at any given time. Absolutely. I left my family, whom I was of just speaking about, um, tore that will up. As soon as I got to the shore, tore the will up, tore it up. Wow. I was like, my life is different now. You know, I needed to finish writing it just for me because I, I, cause I'm a goal oriented person. But then as soon as I got to show, I was like, done. My family is a, is a complete afterthought to me. And I literally have never thought about them again until now. And it still doesn't bother me Amazing, because my new family is a, is a, is a fish family. One of my favorite quotes of yours is when you said the best way to observe a fish is to become a fish. Mm-hmm. This, of course, led to your documentary you made about your life called Aquaman, which is now the uh, reason for many lawsuits. What are, what, are, what are some of the greatest observations you've made in becoming a fish? Tell us, tell us about some of the observational moments that really stand out in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, well, first off, uh, fish are litigious. So, um, Does that mean I that they ha- do each other? Yeah. Uh, and, and specifically me, I've never actually seen them sue each other. I've seen, but they, ah. I have several restraining orders ah. from fish, from what, from watching them and just trying to crash their families. You are somewhat of an outlier in the ichthyology community. Yeah. Others believe you should stay out of the water. You should study them only in laboratories. Uh, you have obviously, as you've mentioned, taken to getting a little more intimate with mm-hmm. the fish. How and not, even a, your, not even a little bit, but yeah. A yeah. lot. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you sort of see the, the rest of the ichthyology community uh, and, and their feelings toward you? Yeah. So there's a, there are a bunch, they're haters, certainly. Um, and I'm just like, I'm just like this. I'm like, okay, you guys do your science. Okay. You do your science where you decide that whales aren't fish and I'll do mine. Because as a scientist, as an, as an ichthyologist, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. my North Star is challenging the norms, okay? And so all these, you know, while popular science will tell you that you shouldn't leave your family of eight humans to, to marry into an already mixed family, mm-hmm. Okay. So we're talking, there was already, there's like stepkids already that I married into. It was like, that was complicated. Mm -hmm. A lot of dynamics, you know, popular thought would say, don't do that. And yet here I am on a show talking about this. So let that be a lesson to all, to all those out there who say, Hey, I like science, but I don't like it the way other people do it that have that understand boundaries. I just want to close with this one question. I I understand that ichthyology is such a deep, deep, dark blue research field. What skills and competencies would you recommend to a kid who's maybe two or three years old that might best prepare them for a future in the deep blue sea? Here's what I would say. Go find a find a find a massive body of water. Okay. Tell nobody that you're gonna go visit it. Okay. Find any sort of vessel. Okay. And if you can't find a vessel, then don't find one. Just go out there 
and just and just sink in sink into the the abyss okay and and if you're saved by a, if you're saved by a fish then you're supposed you're supposed to be an ichthyologist if you aren't saved by a fish you're feeding the fish you know what i mean and then the cycle continues yeah 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 so um so i just say get find us find find something wet and get in there yeah this is um really been eye-opening, illuminating. You've really shone some light onto a, a deep, dark secret of the sea. We really appreciate it. And uh, obviously, I've been taking everything you've been saying uh, hook, line, and sinker. Uh, no doubt. I'm hooked. I want to know more about ichthyology. Uh, so we really appreciate you taking the time to chat to us today. Well, of course, if any other questions bubble up, don't hesitate to reach out and drop me a line. Tom Rittenhouse, an ichthyologist. We are so happy to have you here. Thanks again for being here. The pleasure is mine. The Imitated Radio Hour is produced by Rapid Fire Theater. It is not affiliated in any way with NPR or the official TED organization. So please, don't sue us. We're online at imitatedradiohour.com. For Corey Mathewson. For Julian Fade. This has been the Imitated Radio Hour.